morning. Welcome. Let me pray. Can I just uh, start with a word of prayer here? Father, we thank you, Lord, so much that we know that you are there. God, we thank you that, that you are there no matter what we're going through. Um, Father, that we can be connected to you no matter what we're going through. Um, God, sometimes it, it doesn't feel that way. Um, but Lord, remind us today, not only that you're there, uh, but God, that we have uh, power through you, through your Holy Spirit, to battle the temptations and the things of this world that we struggle with. And so, Father, as, as we dive into your word and we, we look to be more like you, uh, God, I pray that, that your word would, would go forward this morning, Lord, that you, would, that you would use this time to grow us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, again, welcome, and uh, welcome to you uh, that are watching online as well. I'm Jason. I'm the lead pastor here, and so glad that you're here. And uh, we've been talking for the last few weeks about being more like Jesus, and we're going to continue talking about uh, that today and next week. Uh, And today I want to look at uh, a little bit different uh, topic, um, because as we've looked um, to it, one one of the key things that we've looked at from the very beginning is this idea of that he must increase and I must decrease. And we started with that idea of how John the Baptist was talking about that in, uh, in the book of John. And that really being the idea of that series, uh, of, of this entire series, also brings us to a place where we have to recognize that when we do that, when we do maybe make the decision that we are going to uh, focus our life on being more like Jesus as we should, and we should continue to do that, that that also puts a target on our back because we have a very real enemy that doesn't want that to happen. In fact, I would argue that when you do make the decision to follow Jesus and, you, and then you do make the decision to be discipled and to be more like Jesus as we should is the next natural step there, that that ends up putting a target on your back and that the enemy is now not happy with you. He would much rather you be complacent. He'd much rather you be apathetic and have that Neh, attitude. But when we focus on being more like Jesus, that ends up putting a target on our back. Um, and so let me, let me put it to you this way. If I told you that uh, after the service today, that out in the parking lot, there was somebody waiting for you to just get into like a knockdown drag out fight and you were gonna have like a UFC style fight out in the parking lot after this service today, um, that would change your demeanor and perspective on how you are um, maybe approaching your train of thought right now, as well as what, what would you do if you knew that maybe before I just told you that? Wouldn't you prepare a little bit? Wouldn't you maybe prepare and know? If you knew it was something you couldn't get out of, you knew this was a battle I'm going to have to fight, you would prepare yourself. You would train. You would have a different mentality when you walked out into that parking lot. Now, Take that entire idea and that entire analogy, and I want you to apply it to your spiritual life because quite frankly, that is the world that we live in in many ways and we don't acknowledge it. We are in a battle. If we are a follower of Jesus, you are in a battle because the enemy is not happy. Look at how Paul described it in Ephesians chapter six. If you do have the Bible app, you can follow along um, with us. Uh, You can jump on there, go to events, find Connect Church in Akron, Ohio, and you can follow right along here. And I want to start in Ephesians um, with this verse to kind of set the stage for what we're going to look at today. And here's what Paul says in Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. See, spiritual warfare is something that we all have to deal with, whether you want to admit it or not. And when you hear the word spiritual warfare, you probably are thinking about maybe um, different kinds of things, but it's, it's not so much about demon possession or territorial spirits or generational bondage as it is. It's not, not about those things, but it's so much more about overcoming Satan's lies and deceit in our own life. But make no mistake, spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual warfare is a very real thing. And many times we get very apathetic to it or we don't even think about it because uh, in a lot of ways, I like to think of spiritual warfare in, as maybe an alternate reality. I'm sure uh, a lot of you, I know, I know the, the young people in here have seen Stranger Things. And if you've ever watched the show Stranger Things, um, it's on Netflix, it really deals with this alternate reality that happens where this kid gets uh, captured and taken into this alternate reality and all of that. And it's just this crazy place. It looks like the world that you're in, but it's not. And there's all this like nasty evil and all of that in this alternate reality. And, and in a lot of ways, that, that is what happens to us. But we get ignorant to it, or we just choose to, to say it doesn't exist. Um, but you know, when you struggle, when you're in the struggles of, of your life, and you're in the temptations in your life, in many ways... I want you to think of it like that because there is this alternate reality when this, this right and wrong that you have the choice about, this good and bad, you are flirting with this alternate reality, this alternate way of living, this maybe alternate life from what God's best is for you because God wants the best for you. But we also have free will and sometimes we make the wrong choice. But if we look at it from a perspective of spiritual warfare, we keep our radar up. See, there are consequences to the choices we make. There are definitely consequences to the choices we make. And when, and when we're in the battle, you know, maybe it feels like something that's gone on in your life. It might just feel like your reality has completely changed. It feels like the reality that you thought you were in, the things that you thought was, was what life was supposed to be. And maybe now you're in this alternate reality and life just feels like a barren wasteland. And you feel like you can't get out. So how did Jesus handle this? Because if the point of this is to be more like Jesus, how did Jesus handle this? See, Jesus identifies with us in the temptations and in this life. One of the reasons he came to earth to live this life is to be able to identify with us and show us a better way of living. It says in Hebrews 4.15, it says, this high priest, speaking of Jesus, of ours, understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So if we want to be more like Jesus, let's learn from Jesus when it comes to this. Now, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. If you do have your Bibles, uh, your physical Bibles or the Bible app, that's where we're going to be, Luke chapter 4. And this may be a familiar story to you. It may be one that you've read before. This is the temptation of Jesus. But I, but I want to point out something very interesting that, that I guess I came across and never really thought about when it comes to this story because the Gospels are eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. Much of it is. This particular story, though, in Luke chapter 4, if you really think about it, this had to be dictated from the lips of Jesus. This had to be something that he told his disciples and that that, in turn, was written down. 
because nobody else was there. This was Jesus and Satan, and nobody else was there. And so he had to share this with the disciples. Now, why would he do that? Because I'm sure there are plenty of things that Jesus did and Jesus went through that he didn't share that were private moments and such. But this particular story, he, he decided to share and Luke wrote it down. Well, at some point, he decided that this was a story worth sharing because this would be another example of him identifying with us. Because as it says, he's gone through the temptations and he's gone through the things. He understands where we're coming from. And as, as you see, as we go through this story, you will see maybe some areas of your life that you can identify with exactly what Jesus had to go through here, where maybe it just feels like you, and, and it very well may be, the enemy just tempting you in ways that, that are incredibly difficult to resist. So we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. And I'm, I'm going to go through this story in like three parts, just so you know. All right? So here, here we go. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. See, he's, he's human. He's, he's human. This human part of Jesus, he's in, the, he's in the desert for 40 days fasting. He's very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The Scriptures say that people do not live by bread alone. Now, another interesting thing that I found when I was studying for this message is that this area where this is believed to have happened, this, this area out there, funny enough, the, the stones and the rocks that are out there, the smaller rocks, actually have the shape of like bread. I didn't really know that until I kind of came across that, but, but apparently they, they look that way. So Satan is taking something that's a temptation right there. Not only is he hungry, because that's a long time to not eat. I'm, I'm not good going 40 minutes. Jesus went 40 days. And so he's, he's hungry out there, right? And, and these rocks that apparently look like loaves of bread, and Satan's like, here you go. So what's, what's wrong? What's wrong with Jesus getting, getting some food? Why, why is this a problem with Jesus getting some food here? Well, there's a, there's a couple of things. It was self-serving, number one. It was self-serving, and he would have acted on his own behalf apart from the will of the Father. See, if God has something for you to do, it's very easy for Satan to pull you aside and point you in another direction and take you out of the will of the Father with something very, very simple, something very, uh, that, that even maybe looks like a necessity. But make no mistake, every word of God is more important than any bite of bread that we will ever eat. Every word of God is more important than any bite of bread that we will ever eat. And see, we answer Satan's lies with the light and the truth of God's word. But if we are ignorant to that truth, see, Jesus answers back with scripture. But if we're ignorant to that scripture, back to this idea from a couple of weeks ago, why it's so important for you to know why you believe what you believe. It's so important. Because if we are ignorant to it, then we are very poorly armed in the battle. We're going into a fight without any weapons. Nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten, you're going to lose that fight. Again, knowing why you believe what you believe. Incredibly important when it comes to spiritual warfare. Let's keep going. Verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. 
He says, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. How did he say that with a straight face to Jesus? I'm just saying, every time I've read this, like, really? He says, I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. See, Satan's offering Jesus here something that was already his, which is hilarious to me. But he was really trying to give Jesus the easy way out. If you think about it, he was really trying to give Jesus a way to shortcut the cross. He was trying to get him to take the easy way out. And how often does Satan present to you and I the easy way out? Many times. Remember, Satan wants one thing. And one thing only, he wants to be worshipped as God. He wants to be worshipped as God. And again, Jesus resists. And how does he do that? With the word of God. With the word of God being used by a spirit-led believer is the way to resist. Jesus uses the word of God and the Holy Spirit. It says at the beginning that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that next Sunday. Let's continue on here, verse 9. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Remember that last line, until the next opportunity came. See, Satan takes Jesus to the temple roof. And this is like the most populated, popular place, more or less, of the time in first century in the temple. And, um, and he says, if you're the son of God, jump off and we'll catch you. Now, and now it's interesting because he goes to this place and he's showing him all these things. And it's like, it's like going to the mall at Christmas time when it's super packed when we were allowed to do that. Um, remember the mall? Um, but um, so he takes him up and says, take, take a leap. The angels, they'll, they'll catch you, right? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're Jesus. They'll, they'll catch you. See, he was trying to get Jesus to show pride here. And very often, the enemy will appeal to our prideful self. Because we all have that aspect of ourselves. He will appeal to that. But here's the other thing. It reminds us that Satan, hear me on this one, Satan is a Bible expert, and we forget that. Satan is a Bible expert. He knows the Word of God. He knows the Word of God, and he will twist it and take it out of context, and he will use it in, in many ways to try to pull you down. And sadly, many times, people will hear someone use Scripture and they will use it out of context, and they will claim it just because someone quotes scripture, they think that they're, that they're quoting the word of God, and they, and they may, maybe have not rightly divided the word of truth in looking into it. And again, why, knowing why you believe what you believe, so important. The mere use of Bible words does not necessarily convey the will of God. Please hear that. And see, Jesus answers Satan's misuse of Scripture with the proper one, and he quotes Deuteronomy 6.16 right here. In fact, every quote 
is from, uh, is from the law, from Jesus. But remember, as it says here at the end, Satan is always looking for an opportunity. And so you may be able to withstand in that moment, but don't ever forget that he is looking for every opportunity. Even for Jesus, it says, till the next opportunity came. Almost what's insinuated here is that this may not have been the only time that Jesus was tempted. We don't know. We don't know if this was the only time because it says Satan was looking for the next opportunity and he's looking for the next opportunity for you as well. See, we can't let our guard down. I said this a few weeks ago and I'm going to say it again because it applies so much here. Jesus never asks us to do something that he hasn't done. And we see this here when it comes to spiritual warfare, when it comes to resisting the temptations that the enemy puts on us. If we're going to be more like Jesus, we're no, we need to know that we're going to be in a battle. And we need to know that Jesus has never asked us to do something that he hasn't done. He's given us an example. He's shown us the way in which to resist temptation. He was attacked. Jesus was attacked and he was tempted in every way that you and I are and have been. He had a moment of weakness that he didn't give into. And I realize, you're like, hey, I'm not God. I'm not God in flesh. Jesus was, so of course he was able to resist. And all of those things, yeah, I get it. But you know what you're doing when you start saying those kinds of things to yourself? You're starting to justify. And you're starting to sound a lot like the enemy who likes to take truth and twist it just ever so slightly to make you start to justify your sin. One of the, one of the worst things that we do to ourselves is we justify our own sin to ourselves. It's really easy to point somebody else's out. We all know how to do that. But when it comes to ourself, we are really, really good at justifying our own perspective. Oh, well, it's not that bad, and it's just this once, and blah, blah, blah. We, boy, we're really good at that. We're great negotiators with our own self. But this next statement might be a little bit difficult to hear, but it doesn't mean it's not the truth. And it could be the truth for some of us. Because we get attacked... And I know some of us feel like, man, I just get attacked and attacked all the time. And I feel like I'm, I'm failing all the time. But, and this may or may not be true, but I feel like a lot of times it might be because maybe the reason that you're attacked so much is because you resist so little. That's hard to, that's kind of hard to hear. That's a little, but it might be the truth. Maybe the reason you're attacked so much is because you resist so little. Maybe you're an easy target and you make yourself an easy target for the enemy. Sometimes the reason that that happens is because we're looking for approval from everywhere else except where it matters the most. Sometimes the reason that we fail when it comes to our temptations and, and the things that we struggle with in our life is because we're too worried about pleasing everybody but God. And that's why this next point is something I really just want to drive home for a second, because we should not seek the approval of others more than the approval of God, but we do. We do. Students especially listen to this one, but honestly, everybody listen to this one. We should not seek the approval of others more than the approval of God. God's approval of our life matters the most. If we're going to be more like Jesus, then this must be true in our life. We like to say that we don't care what other people think. I've heard that before. I don't care what other people think. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. 
There you are, justifying to yourself right there. I don't care what other people think. Now, granted, some of us have different levels of that. And I know that there are some people that, like, in, that you see and probably are in your life or that you've run into that you're like, yeah, they really don't care what other people think. Uh, but at the same time, there are people in their life. All of us care what other people think. We just do. We do to a certain degree. But we need to stop making excuses. We need to stop making excuses for ourselves because here's the other thing. Satan is not the only one who tempts us because we can also go down that road a little bit too where we just blame everything on Satan. Satan's not the only one who tempts us. The world, plenty of things in the world that tempt us and ourselves. We tempt ourselves and we you know, it's funny, there's that, there's that t-shirt that we've all seen, like Cleveland against the world, right? Or Ohio against the world and all that. And yeah, as sports fans, we feel that way. And it's very much true. But at the same time, when it comes to us as believers and, and our faith and the spiritual battle that we are in, it is us against the world. It really is. And don't you think it, don't fool yourself into thinking that it's not. Because it is. We are attacked by the world, we are attacked by ourselves, and we are attacked by Satan. We get attacked by all three of those very often. Look at what 1 John 2.16 says here. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, that, that craving, that desire that we have. We have that craving within us. That's our sinful nature. The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Doesn't this just sound like the world that we live in now? I mean, good grief. A craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see. The pride in our achievements and possessions. So what do we do? What do we do with this? Yeah, we, we point it out. It's there. We're in a battle. Absolutely. So, so what do we do? I'll tell you one thing that we try to do, and it kind of works, but it doesn't completely work, is that we try to change our circumstances. That's not necessarily a bad place to start, but it's really not the best place to start. Because we think that changing our circumstances, changing our circumstances will make everything better. But we need to fight back in a way that's not natural to us. Because changing your circumstance doesn't change what's wrong in here. Sometimes the problem might be in here and up here. But we think just changing our circumstance is going to change those things, and it won't. It's the other way around. Because if we change here to be more like Jesus, that's going to change here to be more like Jesus. And guess what? Those circumstances that we're in, more than likely, they will take care of themselves in time. You may have to make some tough decisions. You may have to walk away from some things or some places or some people. But if it starts in here and, and we are winning the battle in here and in here, then what we need to do out here is going to make a whole lot more sense and is really just going to end up happening all on its own. See, the battle is not on the outside. The battle is on the inside. Hear that. We need to fight there before we worry about the outside circumstances. That's what Jesus did. He fought back with the truth of Scripture and the power of God, not the power of self. We too often try to fight back with the power of self. 
Look at 2 Corinthians 10. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So we try to fight it our own way. We need to fight the way that the Word of God says we should fight. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. See, the enemy is intentional in his attempts to influence you every single day. He is very intentional in it. He never takes a day off, and we can't either. We do, though. We don't maybe intentionally take a day off, but, but we do. We get into that circumstance where we're with those people, we're in that place or whatever, and we take a day off. And, and we're not intentionally thinking, well, I'm going to take a day off from my faith today. But inevitably, that's what happens. And we get ourselves into a place that we shouldn't be because we got lazy and because we got lackadaisical or because we were ignorant to the fact that we were in a battle to begin with. We can't take a day off because the enemy doesn't take a day off either. When it comes to our walk with the Lord, here's the thing, guys. We have every reason in the world to be confident. That's the thing that we forget about. I don't want this to just be a downer here. We have every reason in the world to be confident. And Paul tells us how to do battle here. He does. It's not easy, but he tells us how. Verse 5 in the NLT actually says, destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. Think about that in your own life for a second. Every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. And then he also says, take thought or take captive every thought. Take captive every thought. Good luck. That's rough. I'd love to say that I've done that. I'll let you know if that happens. That's, that's a tough one, but that's a goal to strive for. To take captive every single thought and make it obedient to Christ. But that's what we got to shoot for. We got to have our radar up, people. We got to have our radar up. And we got to realize that we are in a battle every day, all day. And it's not easy, but nothing worthwhile ever is. This is worth it. Because the authentic Christian life is the hardest thing that you will ever do. It's, I'm, it's the hardest thing that you will ever do. It really is. Battling against the enemy is hard, but it's worth it. And so what does obedience look like? What does obedience look like? How do we take every thought captive as Jesus did? during the temptation in, in, in Luke chapter 4. Well, we're not God, as we've already established, but there's two main things that I want to look at here, and you need both of them. And here's what it is. We need to walk in the Word and in the Spirit. We need to walk in the Word and in the Spirit, and this is a great place to start. It's to walk in the Word and in the Spirit. This has to do with, with how we, we live our life, how we walk out our faith every single day. Jesus resisted the temptations because he walked in the word and in the spirit. And we need both of these. These are two of the best resources for Christian living. But here's the thing. It's got to be both. And it's got to be the balance of both because too much word and not enough spirit. And you puff up, you get prideful, too much spirit, not enough word. And you blow up. 
but with the word and the spirit together, you grow up. Some of us need to grow up. Look at Romans 8. Romans 8 verse 6 says, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. What are we letting control our minds? We all have a sinful nature. We all do. We can all very easily let that sinful nature control us and take us down and guide our thoughts, drift our thoughts. Some of us may have actually just had our thoughts drift away right now where you're sitting. Wake up, right? Come on back. It happens. Hey, I sat in church for years. I get it. Bring your thoughts back here for a second. Focus. We let, our, we, we let our guard down. We let our thoughts drift. And sometimes we end up in a place that we never thought we should be, in a place that we don't even know how we got there, doing things that we never thought that we would ever be doing. Why? Because we let our sinful nature control our mind. Because we started there. Because we weren't walking in the Word and in the Spirit. And we get to a place where maybe we don't even know how to get out. And part of the problem is that we set ourselves up for failure. Don't set yourself up for failure. You know your weaknesses. You do. You know your weaknesses. Give yourself some credit. You know where you struggle. You know where your thoughts maybe drift, and you know where you need to get closer to Jesus. I do just as well. I know where I fall short. Plenty of places. And many times we set ourselves up for failure. When we, when we act in, in ways that that have an, an attitude that, that goes against the nature and the character of God, then God's no longer glorified in our life. And, and here's the other thing. Hear this. We're not meant to do this alone. We're not meant to do this life alone. Jesus was God when he walked through this temptation, and this was something specific for him. But we were created to be in relationship with others. We don't have to do battle alone. That's why we have things like life groups. And that's why we have Bible studies. And that's why we have the community that is the church. Christ's community, purpose. That's why those things are so important. Because we're not meant to do this alone. We need community. And this is another way that we enable our own failure, that we set ourselves up for failure. We enable our own failure because we think, and guys, we're really good at this. I, I can handle this. I can handle this all on my own. I'm good. I'm good. I don't, I don't need anybody. I can handle this all on my own. Boy, if that's you, take a step back from that. Let me just encourage you to do that. Drop your pride a little bit and take a step back from that. Because here's what happens when you follow this, the desires of your sinful nature. Look at, look at what, uh, what it says in Galatians here. As Paul writes, it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, this is setting yourself up for failure. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think that verse, that passage needs much interpretation. I think that's pretty crystal clear what happens and what God thinks about those things. They destroy our life. 
yet we give in to them because we justify to ourselves. If we want to live a pure life, if we want to say that we are more like Jesus, that we want to follow Jesus more, we can't make provision for things that appeal to our sinful nature, but we do. We set ourselves up for failure. And so don't put yourself in a situation that you shouldn't be in. A recovering alcoholic doesn't go hang out at the bar. And if they do, they're not going to be a recovering alcoholic very long. I mean, I know that's an extreme example, but like common sense here. But we seldom think it's spiritual warfare. That's the other part of the problem. We seldom think it's spiritual warfare. We don't chalk it up to that. We chalk it up to human nature and and things like that. No, you are in a battle. Follower of Christ, you are in a battle. Make no mistake. We need to understand our weaknesses and let Jesus take control from there. When we're walking in the word and the spirit, we have a better chance of success. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because what's produced from that as we continue in this passage in Galatians, go to verse 22. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. But we forget that. We forget that our sinful nature has been crucified to the cross, that that is what Jesus really came for. Came to abolish our sin. And we don't have to fear Satan. We don't have to fear Satan because Christ has already destroyed Satan's works on the cross. So as believers, we don't fight for victory. And this is a mindset change. So hear me on this. Be done in just a minute, so just stick with me. This is a mindset change. As believers, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Because Jesus has already won. Jesus has already won. We just need to claim it. And that's the connection point for the day. Is that we need to fight from victory. That's a different mindset. That's a different mindset because the battle... When you fight from victory, the battle suddenly doesn't quite seem so daunting because you realize that Jesus is really the one doing the fighting, that the Holy Spirit is the one that's doing the fighting because Jesus fought from a place of love. Jesus fought from a place of love for you and for me and for everyone. Because God is love. And love is the ultimate expression of victory in spiritual warfare. Because Satan does not understand love. He doesn't get it. And God is love. And Satan is not capable of comprehending that. Would you bow your heads with me? I want you to just focus for a minute on maybe where you're struggling in your life right now. You're in a battle. We can't forget that. See, Satan is not capable of comprehending someone who would give themselves to another person or would be more concerned with someone else as opposed to themselves because that's selfless. And he is selfish. See, his weapons of warfare 
are things that we're seeing an awful lot of right now. Things like unforgiveness, anger, pride, temptation to self-serving motives, sinful gratification. All those things come from focusing on ourself. This world needs the church to rise up and be more like Jesus and to focus not on themselves, but to focus on Jesus and to focus on others. We also can't go through this alone. We need to stop trying to fight this battle alone because we're not alone. Not only are we fighting with the Holy Spirit right alongside of us, but we have our church family, our brothers and sisters in Christ that can be praying and fighting the battle right alongside you as well. We need to focus on Jesus and we need to stop focusing on our own selfish desires and our own opinions. We need to focus on Jesus' opinion because his opinion is the one that matters the most. And you might be in a battle right now. You might be in a place where you don't know what to do. And, and let me ask you if you have a relationship with Jesus to begin with because God wants to, to come alongside you and have a relationship with you. And, it, and it's our sin, it's the stuff that we're, that we're struggling with that separates us. And, and our sins can't be, can't be removed by the good things that we do. And that's why Jesus paid the price for you and for me and he nailed your sin to that cross and paid the price with his blood for anyone and everyone. And if you're in a battle, the best place to start is having a relationship with Jesus. Father, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that is always there with us. And Lord, I, I first just want to pray for those that, that may not know you. God, there may be someone who's watching us that, that they, they realize that they're in a battle and they're in spiritual warfare right now and they're struggling in a few areas. God, I pray that they would walk in, in the word and in the spirit. And if they don't have a relationship with you, that God, that's the place that they need to start so that they can and that they can walk in the word and the spirit. Father, I pray that they would maybe not turn off the live stream or, or walk out of this room without knowing for sure that they have a relationship with you. And Lord, for the rest of us, God, we are all in a battle in some way, shape, or form. And so, Father, help us not to be ignorant to that. Help us to, to fight back with your word. And God, that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct us away from our sinful nature and that we would fight from a place of victory, Lord, because you have already won. And we thank you so much for that and we praise you for that. Thank you for this time that we can gather together. Keep us safe as we go. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.